Well, we are in week three of the series titled Catch and, and Release, The Tale of Jonah. And uh, week one, we, we looked at chapter one, where we get this quick uh, sneak peek into this man's life. We don't know much about him, where he came from, how he grew up. We don't know much what happens after the book of Jonah. But what we know in four simple chapters, we see this amazing journey between him and God. So chapter one, literally, uh, God says to Jonah, hey, I want to use you, Jonah, to deliver a message to the Ninevites. And Jonah did uh, what was logical in his mind. He said no and ran. Literally, no, God, I don't want to, and I'm going to do whatever uh, I can to get away from you. And you think about that. One thing is to say no to God. Wouldn't advise it, but all of us at some point have said no to God. But the thought that he could outrun God, the thought that he could hide from God, the thought that literally he could get away from God is pretty ridiculous. But he tried. At the very end of chapter one, he's thrown overboard because there's this mighty storm that rises up and a big fish swallows him. Last verse, chapter one. So then we go into chapter two, and what we find is Jonah chilling out inside of this massive fish. Now, what would you do if you found yourself for three days inside of a massive fish? He talks to God. And all of chapter two is this conversation that Jonah has with God. And the very end of chapter two We see Jonah literally vomited, hurled from the fish's mouth onto the shore, which is pretty hilarious if you stop and really think about that entire scene, especially if there was a small boy sitting there throwing rocks in the the ocean, and there's some guy with a fishing pole, and then he's out there. But that's how chapter two ends. And so today, we're going to jump into chapter three. But before we do, I wonder how many of us, I want to say all of us, but if not all, almost all of us, at some point in our lives have had kind of this thought before. Now, it's not one of these warm and fuzzy thoughts. It's a pretty emotionally charged thought. Here it is. God can't love me because... You see, this thought is going to guide us through chapter three today. You fill in the blank. God can't love me because my past. God can't love me because of my doubts. God can't love me because how angry I am towards him. God can't love me because my addiction. God can't love me because what is that blank for you? I mean, if you could start writing words on that blank, what would it say? You see, today, in chapter three of Jonah, we're gonna gonna come across two simple words. Two words. 
that if you took those two words and said, this is the heartbeat of God, is what these two words would say. These two words get at the essence of why Christ came, walked, was crucified, and conquered death. Two words that are at the heartbeat of God. And we find these two words just kind of hidden right there in chapter three of this little book about a guy named Jonah. So let's jump into chapter three. It starts off by saying, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I give you. The message I give you. And again, we kind of come back to this because it's very important to know that God is giving a message to Jonah. Jonah is only God's messenger. And that is what we see throughout the Bible. Normal, everyday people. People like you and me. That God wants to use to be his mouth, to be his hands, to be his feet. And this is no different. And God wants to make sure it's clear. Hey, Jonah, I just need to use you, Jonah, to deliver my message. It's all you have to do. So it moves on. It says, Jonah obeyed. Obeyed. Completely different than chapter one, right? A whole different set of circumstances are going to unfold now why? Because he obeyed. You see, chapter one, we find Jonah saying, God, I have my own plans. My plans aren't your plans. In chapter one, we find Jonah completely filled with fear. Do you think he's fearful now? Absolutely. The Syrians who lived in Nineveh, they were some of the most evil people around. And Jonah was fearful for his life, but this time, still filled with fear, he knew that God was going to be walking with him. Jonah, chapter one, literally thought to himself, there's no way, no matter what I say, no matter what God says through me, that these people li living in Nineveh are going to change their ways. No way. Chapter three, he said, well, it doesn't matter what I think. God's sending me. Jonah in chapter one, completely self-absorbed. Completely self-centered. Completely focused on himself. Chapter three, his eyes were looking upward, saying, okay, God. It's not about what I want. It's not about my life. It's not about what I think. It's not about me. Okay, God, it's about you. And so he obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, think about that message. This stranger comes into this huge city, 
hundreds of thousands of people, he comes into the city with one very simple, one very, very clear message. Hey, guess what? Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Guess what? God is upset. God is ticked off. And when God gets upset, his wrath will be just. And his wrath is coming. And you have a choice. What's it going to be? So for three days, didn't matter the age of the person, didn't matter the gender of the person, young, old, slave, free, rich, poor. Jonah gave this simple message. Why? Because it was the message God gave him. You see, what Jonah realized, and this is so important, so many times God wants to use you and me, and we get caught up on ourselves. And God just says, oh, no, no, no. You're just the vehicle. The vehicle to touch lives. The vehicle to impact lives. The vehicle for his message of hope and love and change and warning to be communicated. Have you ever had those moments where you've wanted to invite someone to church? I mean, it's the perfect setting. You're at lunch, you're having a great conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden, that magical door opens up. You can see the, the glowing lights behind it. And you're like, oh, now's the time. And all of a sudden, this voice kicks in. What if they say no? Oh, what if I just bring up church? And man, they push back, and, and they don't call me again, or they won't answer my text again, or they won't choose to eat lunch with me again. And all of these thoughts, these what ifs, come streaming through your mind. It's the same thoughts for Jonah. And what Jonah learned from chapter one to chapter three was, guess what? God just wants to use you to be his vehicle. And whatever that person decides to do, that's really between them and God. Oh, it might be focused at you because you're the one sitting there at lunch. But the reality is, they're going through their own spiritual journey. So don't put yourself in the way. Allow God to use you in an incredible way. And that's what Jonah was discovering. Well, listen to the people's response. The Ninevites believed. I mean, that's step one, right? Step one. They believed in their heart and they believed in their mind. They're like, okay, whoa, 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 time out. We hear God's message through this man. We hear his voice loud and clear. And step one was they believe. But belief isn't enough. Listen, a fast was proclaimed. Now, fasting is simply uh, when you spend this period of time and you decide to go without food and sometimes even water. Depends on how long you want to go. And in that season where you're fasting or you're going without, you focus on God. And you lean into his strength. And you lean into his voice. And you realize how dependent you are on God. And so quickly, not only did they believe, but they went into a fast. A fast was proclaimed. 
and all, that's huge. I mean, Nineveh was filled with hundreds of thousands of people. And this one fallible, sinful, prideful, self-absorbed man proclaiming God's message. Look at the impact. All of them. From the greatest to the least. Put on sackcloth. Now sackcloth is an interesting word. Uh, Literally, it it was clothing. Very, very modest uh, uh, clothing that was made out of goat's hair. And sackcloth and and a fast they always, almost always go together in the Bible. So if you're reading a verse and it has this word sackcloth, you know they're in a, fa- in a fast. Or if you read the word fast, you know that they're probably wearing sackcloth. And what it represented was people would take off their fine clothing, their linens, their gold, their jewelry, and they put on the humblest clothing possible so that when they went before God, all of their earthly stuff would go away so that they could focus on God Almighty, the creator of the universe. All of them. But it didn't stop there. Guess who else it reached? When Jonah's warning reached the king. Because it'd be easy to say, okay, we understand all the common people, all the business people, even some of the more elite people, they, they believe, but... Now we get to the king. The king heard about this message. And not only did the king hear about it, he believed the message. And not only did he believe, listen to what happened. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh. And get this, this is going to get uh, really hilarious fast. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. He put animals on a fast. I get the people. I get the point that he wanted all people to participate in this. But the animals... Do you think that's funny? That now the animals are on a fast too? And the animals are like, hey, what did we do? It's going to get more absurd. But let people and animals, he's including the animals in this decree, be covered with sackcloth. I mean, I'm not sure what a chicken looks like with sackcloth. But it's a hilarious image of someone trying to put sackcloth on a chicken. And so all the people and all the animals in the entire city are now dressed in sackcloth. That's how serious, how serious they took God's message. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You talk about a complete transformation. Listen to God. Listen to what comes next. 
when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. You notice it doesn't say when they believed. It doesn't say it in there. So many times we default to, oh yeah, I believe that. You read something in the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, that's great. I love that. You come to church and you, you hear a message and you're like, right on, preach it. That's great. But how many times does it radically change your life? I mean, belief is important. But you know what God's looking for? For your life to change. And so when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, guess what he did? He relented. Now sometimes people see that and like, see, I told you, God just changed his mind. God couldn't change his mind. It's not about God can or can he not change his mind. You know what this is about? This great window into God's heart. God's desires for all people to follow him. God's desire is for all people, his creation, to worship him. God's desire that all of us would turn from our evil ways and follow him. I think when it says God relented, I think in that moment, God just screamed with joy. I think in that moment, God was high-fiving some angels. In that moment, he went, woo! It was that moment where he's celebrating. He didn't want to bring his wrath. He didn't want to send in armies. He didn't want to hurt his people. But what he wanted was for their lives to change. And here he celebrates because he was experiencing complete transformation in their lives. It says he relented and did not bring on, on them the destruction he had threatened. You see, we pause in chapter three, and it's easy in chapter three especially to say, oh yeah, this is a story really about God and the Ninevites. Oh yeah, this story is really about God trying to save this entire uh, a culture of people. But the title of this book isn't Nineveh. And the title of this book isn't The Ninevites. The title of the book is Jonah. You see, this whole interaction between God and Jonah and the Ninevites, the Ninevites is a subplot. It's really a story between God and Jonah. I said a little earlier that there's two words in chapter three, two words that captures the heart of God, two words, two words. If you took all the Bible and just, just kind of ignored all of it, which I don't suggest, but if you did and focus on these two words, you get to the essential message of Christ. And we find him way back in verse one. Then the word of the Lord 
came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of second chances? What did Jonah deserve? I mean, to tell God no? To look at God and say, God, I don't care about your plans. I'm going my own direction. You see, we worship a God of second chances. I mean, you go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, we see a God of second chances. A God that so desperately wants to have a relationship with us that he says, okay, I'm gonna give you a chance and another chance and another chance. I'm not sure for you what, kind of what your uh, spiritual upbringing was like. I'm not sure for you uh, when you think about church and religion and all, all of that, what, what kind of wells up inside of you. But what I know is there's many, many, many churches, not only just in America, around the world. And if they would read those two simple words found in Jonah chapter three, verse one, they'd start to really discover the heartbeat of God. Many churches, they won't say this out loud, but you'll sense this, you'll feel this, you'll experience this walking into some churches. They first want you to behave. I mean, if you've been in a church like this before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just walk in the front doors and immediately you get sized up. People pause, they look at you. They look at what you're wearing. And if you're not dressed a certain way, you're not welcome. There's churches that go, if you don't act a certain way, you're not welcome. If you don't say the right things, you're not welcome. There's this spoken or unspoken list of behavior rules. And if you don't click off every one of those boxes, Get out of here. But if you meet that standard, then possibly you can move to the next step where they'll give you the opportunity to believe in Christ. But you better make a decision really, 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 really fast. Because if you don't make that decision fast enough, get out of here. And only then, only then will you belong. And think about how many people never even get to hear, let alone hear, because they don't measure up. What I love about Renaissance, is the whole thing's flipped in reverse. We say, guess what? You belong. We don't care how you dress, what you believe, what you don't believe, what you've done, what you're doing now, how you're living your life. We say, you belong, all people, all walks of life, all faiths, all questions, all doubts, 
all actions. But see, this isn't our idea. We didn't make this up. You just have to look at the life of Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Who did he choose to spend time with? You look at the 12 disciples, Matthew. Matthew wasn't just a tax collector, which in Bible days, a tax collector was literally uh, equated to the chief of all sinners. Like, if you were a tax collector, you were considered like the worst of the worst. Why? Because not only were they taking money from you to pay taxes to Rome, they're taking another huge percentage from you to put that money in their own pockets. We find Matthew, he was the head of tax collectors in his city. He was seated, seated at the gate, making sure everyone paid. And guess what Jesus said? You belong, come with me. Zacchaeus, another tax collector. He said, Zacchaeus, I wanna eat dinner with you. And I love this moment in the story because everyone surrounding Jesus and Zacchaeus, it says that everyone grumbled and everyone muttered and everyone complained. And guess what Jesus said? I don't care. I want to eat with him. And the story of the woman at the well. She was walking outside of the safety of the city gates in one of the hottest parts of the day by herself. Why? Because her life was so immoral that none of the other ladies in the city accepted her, would allow her to walk with them. So she came out by herself, fearing for her life to get water. And Jesus said, you belong. Jesus wants all people to know that they are valued and that they are loved because he knows that the next quick step for people to see the heart of Jesus. And when they see the heart of Jesus through people like you and me, loving all people, accepting all people, welcoming all people, they'll see Jesus living out through you. And there's a high chance that they will believe. And once they believe, guess what? Their life will start changing. But you know what? I hate the word behave because it feels like, okay, I'll start belonging and then I'll believe in Christ and then I'll have to behave, which makes it feel like there's this uh, checklist of things that I must do. And if I don't check all the boxes, then I'm not good enough. The Bible isn't about, about a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know what it's really about? And this is the word I like so much better than behave. Become. Become. That's what God has called you to do. He's not expecting you to hit perfection. He wants you to spend a lifetime becoming like him. To get to know his heart. To 
get to know what makes him smile, to get to know what makes his heart beat fast, to get to know what he expects from you. What's amazing in the book of Jonah, because God gave Jonah a second chance, you see Jonah taking another small step forward to become more like his creator. I come back to this statement. God can't love me because. You know what? That's a horrible statement that has crept into your mind. And you need to replace this with this statement. God loves me no matter what. Because he is a God, a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. He loves you no matter what. He just wants you not only to believe, but to follow him, to walk with him with your entire life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this story about a simple man named Jonah. And I am so grateful that you're a God that gives second chances. And Lord, I pray for every single person, wherever they find themselves in their spiritual pathway, that they will know that you accept, accept them just like they are. And you love them for who they are. In your name I pray.